it's time to expand online. Hi, I'm Jamie Sletsky, and this is the podcast where we break down the tech and strategies that successful hands-on entrepreneurs just like you use to translate their services into online products. There is no fluff. There is no overwhelm. There is no shame. Let's get to it. It's time for you to expand online. Welcome back to the Expand Online Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Slutsky, and this is episode number 108. Over the past few weeks, we've been getting into the nitty-gritty of online courses, from is this the right online product for you, to administration and supporting your students. But what we haven't talked about yet, and what I've been saving up for this episode, is pricing and value. These are two separate topics for sure. The price of your online course and the value one receives from the course can be completely disconnected. You know, you could give away a course for free and it could be a life-changing thing for your student or you could charge a fortune for your course and it not help your student out at all. But what we really want is for the price to reflect the value and for the value to be seen within the price. There are multiple ways to price a course, and I'm going to list here a few of the most common ones. The most common by far is a flat rate. Your students pay 100% of the course price upfront before gaining any access. On the heels of that, we have installments where your students will pay a percentage of the course price each month for a certain number of months. If it's a $1,000 course and payment terms are split over 10 months, then realistically, they're going to be paying $100 a month for 10 months. That's the idea of installments. The next pricing structure is a free trial followed by a flat rate or installment plan. And just as it sounds, you give free access to the course for a certain number of days, and then the students will roll into either a pay-in-full or installment plan. And like that one, there is also a paid trial followed by the flat rate or installment plan. So instead of a free trial, you are charging a nominal amount, like a dollar or $5 or $10 for access to the trial. And then after the trial period ends, the student will roll into an installment plan or pay the balance in full. And the final option that I think deserves a little bit of merit right now is the pay what you want. This is where you let your students decide how much the program is worth and for them to pay that amount in order to gain access to the course. You can actually set a minimum price of $40 or something like that. But generally speaking, with a pay what you want, you want to leave it completely up to the student to perceive their value. Now, Your prospective students are going to subconsciously tie their expected results to the price tag. So it's our job as we determine our prices and create our offer pages to help our prospects come up with the yes, I need this decision. And that's where the value of your course comes in. The value of your course is in the transformation that you're set to create for your student should they follow your course material and take action every step of the way. In addition to this huge transformation that your course promises, the perceived value will be developed by the student and will likely include how the course is structured, what type of content is included in the course, the community or lack thereof, interaction with you as the instructor, schedule and time constraints or requirements, 
intermediate milestones, what they can take away from chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, if those are sizable enough, the practical application of what they're learning, the cost and discounts and coupons and freebies and add-ons and bonuses and things like that, testimonials and reviews, and the additional expenses that a student is going to incur like purchasing supplies. A course can be priced at $49 and check all the boxes for a student. Or a course can be priced at $997 and also check the boxes for that same student. But the $49 course and the $997 course are not going to have the same value proposition. Your student would expect to get quick wins on a smaller scale with a $49 course than they would with a $997 course. If your course helps a student get from knowing nothing about playing the piano to being able to play a Mozart sonata, then the value is super high. It is a huge feat to learn to play the piano and tackle that classic piece of work. Figuring out how to price this course is essential to having students come on board. If you price this course too low, then your prospective student isn't going to take you seriously because the stated transformation has a far greater value than the price tag would indicate to the student. If you price your course too high, then you're going to hit an investment threshold with your students. Not everyone has the ability or desire to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on a course. You might have to break your course into multiple courses or offer payment plans. Most payment plans will cost slightly more than a pay-in-full option, usually somewhere between 5 and 15% higher. This is an easy-to-justify surcharge because it has a benefit to your student and both higher costs and higher risks on your side. The costs are mostly the cost of doing business, but the higher risks come from students receiving training or material before they have fully paid for them which now kind of creates a wrinkle in the administration side of things. What happens when a credit card payment fails or your student cancels their payment plan? We'll talk about those options a bit later, but for right now, the entire purpose of a payment plan is to help your student balance the cost of your course with the reality in their own life. You know, my 13-year-old daughter, she dances. She takes three classes, ballet, jazz, and contemporary. The studio offered us three different payment options. One was to pay in full, one was to pay quarterly, and the final one was to pay monthly. We chose monthly payments, not because they were the cheapest option, but because they were the best fit for our family. Paying for the year in full was too much of a financial burden, and the quarterly payments weren't enough of a savings over the monthly, so we just decided to do monthly. This was our choice. And the studio has minimal risk because as a full year commitment, there's a huge reward at the end with the recital. That makes the commitment pretty much guaranteed. And if one of my payments didn't go through, the studio can simply say, oh, your daughter's not going to be in the recital. You know for sure that I am going to make sure that those payments are made because I would be letting my daughter down and she wouldn't be able to be in the recital. Most of our online courses have a much shorter runtime than a full year commitment like the dance studio. Most of the courses are 6 to 12 weeks. And many of the courses are actually completely self-paced and can be completed in as little as a weekend. 
So while payment plans are nice, they aren't always necessary. If a course can be completed in a weekend, no payment plan is needed. And similarly with a six-week course, just offer pay in full. If someone needs assistance, they'll reach out if they really see a value in your course. I like my clients to price their courses between $147 and $997. I feel like these are good price points for courses to be profitable students to see the value, and enough of an investment for students to follow through. We've already talked a lot about student follow through on the podcast, so we're not going to dwell on that here. Just go back one episode in your podcast app to last week, episode number 107, where we discussed multiple avenues to support our students. And that'll give you plenty of ideas on supporting your students and helping them realize the value that they can place on your course. The value that a student places on your course will determine if they purchase it and how far they get through it. As the instructor, it is not you who gets to dictate the value of your course. But that's not to say that we can't influence the value assessment. And it starts with the course structure or the way that content and experience is delivered. Things like, is it all available at once, or is it dripped out over time, or is it progressively dripped where each module is available immediately after the preceding module has been completed, but not out of order? Are there going to be quizzes and assignments and work to be done, or is it education only without a practical component? Each of these decisions we make as course creators should have a logical reason and then be communicated to help our prospective students build the course value for themselves. A course that consists of videos and worksheets and assignments is going to have a different perceived value than a course that consists of text-based lessons, and different again from one that has downloadable audio lessons to learn on the go. There's nothing to say that a text-only course is going to have a lower value than one that has all the bells and whistles, but I can assure you that your students are going to feel more connection with you and the course material if they hear your voice and see your face. And speaking of that, real-time interaction with you can make or break the value proposition. If your students have access to you, even if they aren't in the same part of the world, that can be huge. Real-time interaction can happen inside your Facebook community and through live Q&A sessions on Zoom. You can also give a real feel of interaction through personalized messages or critiques created with Loom videos or just simply on your phone creating a quick video for an individual student. Let's go back to that community that we talked about so much last episode and they said I wasn't going to dwell on right now. For your students, as they're pulling together the value proposition of your course, knowing that they have access to a judgment-free and warm environment is going to absolutely increase the value. The greater the opportunity for support, the greater the perceived value. As a course creator, we have to provide the clues so that our students can come up with their own value determination. And this is one of the reasons why there are so many amazing copywriters out there who specialize in course sales pages. They understand how to take what you're promising in your course and translate it into the words that can help your prospective students become your active students. And people like me who help you create a succinct digital strategy to make sure that you don't go down a rabbit's hole that you don't need to go down. 
I said it before, I like courses priced between $147 and $997, but that is still a huge range. And your course price tag isn't the only expense that your student is going to incur as they embark on learning from you. What other supplies or equipment are they going to need to purchase or rent to complete your course? The cost of supplies or equipment has to be in alignment with the price of the course. If your course is $147 and the supplies and equipment are also $147, then the value of the course needs to be at least double the price tag so that the value proposition works. Probably three times the price tag if you're having them spend $147 on supplies. If you're teaching something that can help your students in their business, then generally your course price can be higher than a course that provides only a personal benefit. But this isn't a steadfast rule. It really comes back to the value proposition. So let's talk a bit more about pricing psychology. And by this, I mean coupons and discounts and slashed prices. The online space is overrun by discounts and coupons and price slashes, both for products and services. So should you issue coupons, provide discounts and slash your prices? Well, would you do that in your offline business? Do you offer your students a discount if they enroll in more than one of your classes? Do you have coupons available for the general public? Do you have an advertised price that is higher or different than the actual price you charge? You know, you're at a distinct advantage over course creators who do not currently have an offline model to leverage. You can follow your already established guidelines and translate them online. There is one big difference that you'll want to consider, and that is that online courses might not take up as much of your time as offline courses do, which might help you justify a lower price or discounts or coupons or slashes than an offline course might command. About those slashing prices, I threw that term out there without much context. What I mean here is that you list the quote unquote retail price of your course as $997 and then put a slash through that and say for a limited time, this course is $200 off at only $797. It's a gimmick and it works because of perceived value and anchoring pricing. Go back to episode 77 with Melina Palmer to learn more about behavioral patterns in purchasing. The price of your course is one data point in the perceived value matrix that our students construct. It's not the only piece, nor do I believe it's the most important. And you know what? The nice thing about online courses is that there is no requirement to keep things static. You can close the doors on your course and revamp it so it's got a higher perceived value and then increase the price. Or you can close the doors, break it into several smaller courses and charge less. I promised earlier that I would talk a couple of minutes about what to do if a student stops paying their payment plan. There are two sides of this thing. One is the money that you're owed and the other is the student's access. On the money side, Start by reaching out to the student and let them know that their most recent payment has failed. Ask them to update their credit card. It's as simple as that. Sometimes people just forget to update their credit cards when the expiration date passes or if they get new credit cards issued. And on some occasions, I will suggest providing an alternate method for paying the balance in full instead of trying to get back on the existing subscription. 
Most of the time, these are going to be done on a case-by-case basis. Don't try and create too many rules around chasing your money. There are a few automations that we can do to get you started and how to identify when there are payment delinquencies. But for the most part, the personal touch is so, so helpful. Now, on the content access side, non-payment means that access to the course content, community, email communication, and live interaction should all cease. I would recommend including what content and access is going to be revoked should payment plans fail so that you can avoid objections um, from these delinquent students. And you always want to have something to fall back on, something that's in writing that they have agreed to. That's why we put it into our terms of service. And actually, this is one of the reasons why a lot of people do not deal with payment plans. It's because they just don't want to deal with the non-payment issues. So it's up to you. Now, finally, before we wrap up, let's take a couple of moments to talk about the other couple of payment methods that I mentioned at the outset of this episode. That is the freer paid trials and the pay what you want. Trial periods are really good if you can provide a ton of value at the start of the course because that content is going to act as a mechanism in your sales flow. Trial users can be soft sold while increasing the no like trust factor for them to fully invest in the course and you. With a trial period, we don't want to give away the entire course and then the prospective students say, eh, no, no thanks. So a limited trial should include enough to showcase your expertise and how you work and how you transform your students. A trial is just that, something to whet their appetite for more. Now, the pay-as-you-go option was popular a couple of years ago, but I'm not seeing it as much right now. That could change again, but right now I'm just not seeing it as much. The idea here is that you know your value and your worth and you want your course to be accessible to as many people as possible. You're willing to use this course as more of a lead generation tool and are less concerned about a personal financial upside. I don't really like this model because almost every student will give the course a lower perceived value and will get less out of the course than if the published price was exactly what they had paid. Or let's put this another way. In general, your pay-what-you-want students will pay less than half the perceived value. A course with a perceived value of $200 would garner less than $100 per student on the pay-what-you-want model, whereas that same $200 of perceived value could have a published price of $125 or $147 and get an equal number of sales. Wow. I think I might have just thrown a whole lot more into this conversation than I had initially thought I would. I knew I was passionate about perceived value and pricing, but I had no idea this much would pour out of me. Take just a few nuggets from this episode and come back to it when you are ready to take another couple. Let's continue this conversation. Connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at Jamie Slutsky and also inside the Expand Online community, which you can access by going to techofbusiness.com forward slash community. I have both my Instagram profile and the community linked up in the show notes. Next week, we're going to continue the conversation about courses with a specific lens on running your course with cohorts. Because we both know that students have a better chance of showing up and succeeding when they are surrounded by their peers.